Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. With me today is Wendy Solomon, and she is the Managing Director of Corporate Strategy and Reputation at the Harris Poll. The Harris Poll has been in existence since 1963 with deep, deep uh, capabilities in public polling and strategy and reputation. But today we're going to deeply concentrate on their research on COVID-19 with the public, with all generations. How do people feel today? What are they looking for companies to do? What are they looking to engage with each other? What will life look like? Hopefully when we return back to normal, Um, in some months versus perhaps longer than that. Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today we have a very special show about research. Candidly, I love research. I've been doing research in the field when we started with the first ever companies and social issues research, the Cone Roper Report in 1993. And I've done, oh, over about 30 surveys since. And just love the data, love the insights, because it really informs our work. And then ever since the beginning of my career, I've always shared it. Throughout my career, I came across this amazing individual, Wendy Solomon. And Wendy has become a fast friend. Um, She is the Managing Director of Corporate Strategy and Reputation at the Harris Poll. And she's been there in the various iterations of Harris for over 25 years. Welcome, Wendy, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And I and today we're going to talk about research and the power of research and different types of research. But we're really going to drill down heavily into COVID-19. Harris is doing ongoing public polling. They're parsing it out via various segments and they're sharing it with everybody liberally because we're all in this together. And any additional insights we can gain are absolutely critical. So, Wendy, let's just start with the Harris Poll. Can you talk about its history? Because it's quite rich. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the Harris Poll has been in a really privileged position for more than 50 years where um, we've really had a very front row seat on um, not on culture, on business, on politics. And so I think it is really relevant in a time like that. Um, that that privilege becomes a responsibility, right? So when you talk about what Harris is doing, what Harris is doing is we are using our core skill set, which is polling and measurement, 
to help the public and to help businesses and to help um, the media, to be honest, is a large stakeholder of ours, just helping everyone understand sort of where things are now on the COVID-19. And and you're right, Carol, this comes out of a really rich history. So, you know, we we sort of have straddled all sides of the aisle here in our in our history. We've had Lou Harris, who is legendary as a pollster for JFK. We also have within our DNA um, Richard Worthlin, who was Ronald Reagan's pollster. Right now, we are one of the Stagwell companies, and and Mark Penn um, is a leader of that. And so, you know, we have this connection to the populace, both in terms of measurement and in terms of um, politics and business. And so, I think this really is a time when um, many companies, right, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, are, are finding their best selves and 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 all that. And I think Harris is is very much among them. So, as you mentioned, all of our COVID nineteen polling and insights and I mean down to the cross tabs for people who who like such things are mm-hmm. are are available for everyone uh, to see. So this is very much, you know, when I talk to people about corporate character and about how companies um, behave in, in in times of crisis, you know what the answer is? You behave in times of crisis pretty much as you behave in normal times, right? Like the mm. best, if you find your best self, um, when things are seen as authentic, it's because it's kind of reflects how you are in your life, right? And so, and, and in your working. And so I think companies today, the some of the ones that we'll t- like maybe talk about is, is rising to some of these challenges. We probably could look back at how they've been in recent history and see some signs of that character as well. So I, I'd like to think that Harris is, is in that list, right? In terms of we've always been monitoring culture and, and right now we're really at an all in this together where it's super important that everybody understands. Um, and we're doing it from the public perception. We're doing work among small businesses um, and among, um, you know, different target target groups that right now are, um, there's just a real, real need to, uh, to understand what's going on. That for sure. And, and um, I would be remiss if I didn't state that I worked with Wendy on the Good Life Research that was a platform for, stand- for sustainable brands, uh, both in the U.S. and globally. And she was most generous in being a wonderful partner with us. And then most recently, she partnered with us on our B2B Purpose Paradox. So let's get into um, your COVID research. First of all, what was the methodology? And then what were your major um, insights gleaned from it? Sure, yeah. So so the COVID research we're doing is really a body of research. So it's building on each other. Um, I think the heuristic value of the full set is probably still to be determined, right? Because we're still building it. So the methodology primarily is, um, you know, an online online survey of, you know, either a thousand or two thousand, depending on we do a lot of flash polls and, and things like that, always with the Harris polls, um, adhering to our media standards in terms of thought leadership. So, you know, our representative representativeness rules and um the, you know, our, all of our mandates, which actually Harris is, is industry leading on, on sort of how to construct good research programs, both at the questions and at the sampling and the representativeness and, and the data quality checks at the back end. So online survey, a thousand, some of these questions are based on an out of 2000. Um, but what we're doing is we're sort of, since the beginning of this, well, I guess you can argue when the beginning is, but certainly for the last three or so weeks as, as sort of the intensive nature here in the U.S. has become very obvious. And we've realized the, the, 
the challenges that it presents to the business community, to the healthcare community, to all of us each in our own homes right now, um, we really wanted to understand it. And so we're, we've been in, I think we're in our fourth wave is coming out of the field now. And so we've been measuring a number of questions on an ongoing basis and a number of questions, you know, and, and we, um, I think the notion here is flex, right? <laughs> Companies right, are flexing absolutely. all over. Mm-hmm. We are finding new ways to um, to address situations that we never thought we would be. And so, so we're sort of approaching the research with that in mind. So what are the issues this week, right? So we weren't talking about buyouts a month ago, but more recently we've been saying, you know, what, what does that look like? So, so, I mean, I think the research, you know, if I had to sum it up, I think that, um, I've talked about this privileged position of monitoring culture and people and, you know, it's great cocktail party fodder, just sort of knowing what Americans are doing. Right now, I really see a um, the level of fear, the level of concern, the level of taking this seriously is wildly different, mm. right, than it was three weeks ago. Okay. And so I'll tell you, research is... Um, you can really hang your hat on it, right? If you ask it on day one, sans any like major event, you can usually think that on day three, you know, it's not going to be wildly different. I have never in my career been in such a wildly changing landscape. So from a methodological standpoint, you know, you'll measure a question you know, about behaviors, for example, like how likely are you, would you go out to a bar, you know, three weeks ago and you had 20 some percent or whatever it was say yes. And then Literally, through, by the time you got that data, you knew it felt toned up. Mm-hmm. By then, it was up to 40 three days later. Then you measure that and you're like, I knew it. I knew it was higher. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, by the time you want to talk about that data, bars are closed, right? I mean, it is a wild sort of backdrop. But we are seeing very much the seriousness that's happening Um in terms of, you know, the number of people that say, oh, you know, the level of fear is irrational. We're really blowing this thing out of the water. We see that actually going down, right? So there's, there are fewer people think that the risks are overstated. And there is an increasing percentage of the public right now. We're, you know, we're up to 61% and we're coming out of the field now. So my guess is that this is higher saying that, you know what, it's a pandemic. This this level of fear is absolutely sensible. And, you know, I, I think we have just monitored that over time. Um, and the fear is a really um, sort of uh, equal opportunity uh, sort of risk, right? So we say, what about the fear to you personally? We say, what about the fear to the people, the elderly, the just the health of Americans, or the fear, the economic fear of the American economy? And you and you see all across where it's you know 70, 75, 90%, 80%. So in research, in a polarized world, um, it has gotten harder and harder for us to report about that full-throated response when 91% of the people agree. Like, think about it, right? There's, there are not that many things, unfortunately, these days where you have such a universal agreement. And so, you know, the fear for the economy, the fear for the most vulnerable among us is, um, has just escalated to that point, which, you know, one could say is reasonable. And when we say, how long do you think this is going to last? And I think when we deploy this research for the business community, it's always about, you know what, we are going to turn a corner together. Right. We're holding hands in this and we are going to turn around the corner. So let's just think about where, where the public thinks that is. Cause we know that this is the canary that says, how soon after will they go to a restaurant? 
right? How soon after would they go to a gym? And, and so the public right now is saying they're assuming that this is like a two and a half month thing. Um, and again, this is uh, the data that I'm talking about now is um, from late last week. So it may have changed over the weekend. Um, but the long tail of this is really evident in our data. So what I mean by that is, when will you go to a gym? right? When will you actually, when would you go to the movies or like a large concert or sporting event? Some people are saying, a, a portion of people are saying, oh, it's going to take two months after the restrictions are lifted for me to want to do something like that. Two months after restrictions. Okay. Right, right. And that's not the, that's not the majority, but when you've got 25% of the people saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to stay put for two months more, you think about, you know, let's do the, the math and multiply that out on the economic impact. So, so there's not this universal like as soon as I can get outside, I'm going to go to a restaurant, go to a bar, you know, go to the gym and go, you know, to the baseball game. I'm curious about what people are saying about going back to work. You know, I think right now that our our focus has been more about employer policies. Um, I think that, first of all, many people are working just in new ways. So for so going back to the office maybe is 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 one of the is is what you mean by that, right? Because what we are seeing is that the employer actions, right? So, so we're asking the public, what, what has your company done, right? And this is another seismic thing about how the past two weeks have really changed right now. Um, you know, at first, well, they're telling me not to travel. That was around two weeks ago. That was the story. How many employers are telling people not to travel? Last week, it was more like, or a week and a half ago, we're working from home. Um, you know, so this mandated work from home policy. And then now it's more sort of personal touching, no handshakes for those that are, that have a more personal connection. But, you know, it used to be that the public's 35% of the public said, Oh, my employer's done nothing. And right now that number is down to less than a quarter, right? So the public is playing. So companies are taking action, right? So we're seeing that we're, they're telling them what to do. What's interesting is that we see less action. On policies related to sick leave, policies related to, you know, are they going to pay me for it? Is there more wellness stuff or more preventative care stuff? So we don't see that in the public's mind being played out um, quite as much. But we are seeing, um, there's basically the public is seeing more of their employers doing something beyond just working remotely. And, you know, we are the polling partner of Just Capital. And I think that's also someone, you know, has yeah. contacted. He's been on the show a number of times. Yeah, right. Martin. Martin's yes. But, um, you know, so they're doing a great thing, which I would point your listeners to, uh, where they are pretty much keeping track of actual corporate behaviors in terms of the policies and adjustments to six leave. And so, so we do know that companies are doing these things. I think what's interesting, you know, we're asking things around, do you sense a decrease in productivity, for example? Mm -hmm. And we have seen that go up among remote employees over the last two weeks. That they're um, decreasing their productivity or increasing? Yeah, they're feeling just a little less productive okay. than they were two weeks ago. They're feeling considerably more isolated, around 25% of them compared to like 10% are saying, I'm feeling pretty isolated. So these are those things that I really invite us to think about, you know, to quote um, Governor Cuomo, right? This is the marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And so if we're seeing week over week a doubling of feelings of isolation, what will that mean for a month from now? Mm -hmm. Right now, we're all, I think I go to bed with images of the Zoom screen in my head with all the little squares and little faces in it, right? So right. for all of these sort of the way technology is enabling um, these types of collaborations, technology has been a fabulous partner to date. 
will it be enough in two weeks when we're seeing, seeing feelings of isolation double? I think the other sort of more modest things we're seeing about the work environment now as we, as we measure the public is, you know, there's these other challenges. There's these kids that are always around, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't actually have a home office, some tell us. They're like, I sort of fit this in in my kitchen or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and may or may not be private. It may or may not be quiet. Um, it may or may not involve pets. So these types of things, I think I, I just get a sense looking at this data that it doesn't feel like um, an easy solution for the long term. So I really am eager to see how this, how we um, not, I think, as we move away probably from employer actions and sort of how, how are we coping in these new environments? I think it's going to be something that's going to be fascinating. And, and, and are you, are corporates coming to you and adding questions to this research or are you just doing it writ large? Well, we're doing it writ large, but I mean, we do everything in context, right? So I think more so than other companies, Harris is, um, you know, we bring that bigger context. Our ears are always open to the marketplace and what's going on to our clients, to the people that we hope will be our clients on you know, what they wish they knew. So to say that um, this research hasn't been informed by them would be totally uh, disingenuous. Um, so, but we are, this is just research we're running and fielding mm-hmm. and sharing. Now, we have, um, when we think about how research is changing right now and what, what people that are coming to us need, they need what they've always needed. They need to look around the corner and know it's coming. If they're a restaurant, they're eventually going to reopen. They want to know what to put on the menu, right? I mean, there's, we have to sort of honor that there are still the, um, the business as usual research questions. But what people are asking us now is far more for quick turn. So our flash poll solution. So the work that we do that helps clients say, um, what you did yesterday, did you see it? Did people see it? Did they understand it? Do you need to tell that story differently? What you're planning to do tomorrow, how will that be seen? You know, Harris Poll is the leader in research for public release, so thought leadership research. So research that is designed to be easily recognized by the media as well-constructed and valid. And so a lot of our clients use us to help tell their own story, right? What do they need to, what is um, a position that they would love for a policy influential, for example, to understand about American perceptions. Can they use research when they sit down with the people that matter to them to convince them to behave in certain ways? As, as such, yeah, as such we did with the B2B purpose paradox. Exactly. Where, exactly. Yeah, well, we felt that the next evolution of purpose was more into the B2B world. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. So um, we. Oh, God, we, you said you weren't going to do that till the end. Uh, OK, okay. Well, let's, let's do it now. We can, <laughs> we can always recap this. So um, we launched it February 11th, interestingly, uh, because if we had waited a couple more weeks, it would have been nobody would have heard about it. We got some good exposure to it. Um, but now the world has changed dramatically. So as uh, I'm just curious, we'll, we'll combine this with. There's some B2Bs out there that are do, that are really responding well or B2B, B2Cs like Microsoft or 3M. Um, I'm cu- So why don't we just turn to that first? Like, who do you feel in terms of companies are living up to their authentic values and are really providing public service at this time? There's a number of examples of those. Um, I think 3M is an interesting one. Uh, because so so we have at Harris something called the reputation quotient. We've um, 
been measuring the reputation of America's most notable and prominent companies for the past, I think we're in our 22nd year, something like that, a really long time. Um, 3M 20 years ago was in like the top 10 most mm-hmm. trusted company. Yeah. They have just lost relevance. Now, they are a high reputation company, but they don't make our list anymore. They're just not in the consciousness of the American public. I, d- I ran uh, some research last week where I, it's sort of the Main Street view where we looked, we talked open ended. We asked 1,000 Americans what company comes to mind as responding to this crisis in a way that makes you feel more positively about them. So this is total Main Street. This is if I asked your cousin, if I asked your neighbor. And 3M made it to that list, to the top 10 on that list. So in other words, what they are doing is breaking through. They're a well-known company, heads not all around the table. Oh, 3M, heard of them, good company. But they're not necessarily um, relevant for today. But what we're seeing is a real inflection point, I think, for them because they very much are now. Um, and they've also developed some interesting partnerships. I mean, they're partnering with Ford. Ford is partnering with GE Healthcare. So you also, I think times like this are not just individual companies, but mm-hmm. I always like to watch, and I'm, I'm like making a web gesture with my fingers, like sort of how they're connecting to each other. <laughs> right, right? Like yeah. All of a sudden, um, you see companies you would not expect to uh, be joining hands and jumping in that pool together doing exactly that. And I think the auto sector has been a great example of, um, you know, I talk about scalanthropy. This is me using polling for good, right? What we're trying to do now with COVID. I mean, what is Ford doing right now? They're retooling and their their union workers are back and they're using their, they're using the assets I mean, what Bill Ford, he calls, yeah, you know, we, we opened up the parts drawer. That cracked me up. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you got a big parts drawer. But, you know, and they're uh, they're bringing this into the world. They are part of the solution. So, you know, I think there's many examples of this. And for some companies, it is really um, driving relevance in a way. And 3M is the best example of that. And, um, and let me, and I coined a phrase called smart generosity. Ooh, that thank you. Um, that we believe that the 3Ms of the world or the Fords of the world, you know, companies that I thought I saw Joanne Fabrics, which is you know you, you don't talk a lot about Joanne Fabrics, but they have sent out information to customers and NGOs. You know, you can buy these kits. There, there's fabric. You can sew masks. You can sew gowns. Things like that. And so, you know, this smart generosity, I, you know, goes back to the authenticity of a company's values, and 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 goes forward. I think that um, one of our clients, First Robotics, was founded by the you know U.S. genius Dean Kamen. He's an inventor. He's a prolific inventor, and he has companies. He, he people know him because he invented the Segway. Um, or, or the first robotics competition where he felt that, you know, that any child could turn pro because they were just they were working on robots and learning about STEM. And he really, you know, created the first robotics competition so that um, ki- that kids could grow up one day to be revered, just like an athlete. So he has all these companies with a vast supply chain in China. And he is he is knitting them together and then offering them up to the government. Again, smart generosity to help build ventilators, per se. So I'm just curious, who else is on the list that's come to the fore? 
Well, I think, you know, who's on the list actually are from the main street side of the house is a lot of retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Walmart and Amazon and Target. Um, we see Dollar General, Walgreens, Publix, right? So when you see the, the image of the Patriot, it is moving away. It is moving towards the medical community. I mean, you can, I'm sure everybody's social media feeds are filled with beautiful images of, of care of, you know, the front line, the new front line. They are also grocery baggers, right? We are redefining um, what that looks like in this country. And you see that being played back in these companies. And what have they done for it? Sometimes they've opened up early for seniors, for the most vulnerable. Sometimes they've said, we're going to give you guys hazard pay, right? You guys are on the front lines. Sometimes they've said, we're going to, we are going to do what's right for society. So when we think about community health, it takes selfless gestures. And so sometimes it involves offering sick leave to a very large workforce because that makes them stay home when they're sick, right? Which is good for community health. So, so you see things like that. Now, what's interesting, we also ask a question that says, okay, but now name a company and again, open end, any, anybody that comes to mind that uh, you think should be doing more to help address the, the crisis. And do you know who we get? The exact same ones, right? So you also see expectations. Um, Walmart, Amazon, top of both lists. Amazon, Walmart, top of the, they should be doing more. So it's not as if you get a get-out-of-jail-free car, like, okay, great, you've played your role, thank you. Um, you know, go rest now. You really see that Main Street is saying, these are the people that have to do more now. What I'll tell you is we ask a really interesting question um, because I think our purpose work together, Carol, was really instructive as we looked at B2B companies and said, you know what, this is in your camp too. And we see that so many of them are on the threshold of, of perhaps not fully activating, but, you know, this is, um, this is in their DNA as well. I think what's interesting is when we look at industries. So we ask the public, since the outbreak began, you know, how has your view of each of the following industries changed due to due to the response to the to the coronavirus pandemic? Um, and what we see is that who is gaining industry reputation? So when I say that, there's a bit, there's like a a virtual bank somewhere, right? You got a good reputation. What does that mean? You could take a few more arrows. You could make a few missteps, but you overall have this equity bank. And so we're seeing that build in grocery exponentially, and we're seeing that build in healthcare, of course. So again, it's very confirming of the other work we're doing. Now, the other, the third most common, and I'm putting industry in quotes, it's technically not an industry, but sector, is small businesses. This is the moment, I think, where we're seeing the public really leaning in, looking left and right and saying, huh, you know, there's a lot of those. And wow, that's really problematic for a lot of people. So I have been really interested in seeing um, how the public is, you know, they're more open to bailouts for small businesses. I think you take it for granted in your just normal, you know, uh, life. Oh, I'm going to the cleaner. I'm going to the to the grocer. I'm going to the diner. I'm going to the vet. Uh, gosh, when my vet's closed, you know, and it says go to an emergency room, I, I hope my, you know, my animals aren't, aren't going to get sick right now. And even, um, I mean, so just back to the industry thing for a minute, because I do think that there is, and it kind of ties to 3M, it ties to the purpose work we do. It ties to purpose in unexpected places, right? So when we say to the public, 
what do you, you know, what industries should be providing solutions during this epidemic? You get the, you get the basics. You get pharma, you get healthcare, you get tech. So people are looking to tech. You get less than 20% of the people saying auto. You get less than 20% of the people saying, oh, uh, it, nonprofit should really be playing a role here. Hmm. 24% say manufacturing, which means 75% don't think that they have a real role to play. So I, when I go back to, if I'm talking to business leaders in some of these sectors that the public does not think is part of the solution, to me, I, I mean, I don't know if it's crass to talk about opportunity, like sort of in the throes of this, but from a business perspective, mm-hmm. It feels like there is a real possibility to let the public know about the good that these other sectors can do because they're looking in obvious places, right? They're looking at technology because that's connecting us. They're looking at the front line. You know, pharma maybe is where we're going to get that some sort of vaccination or some sort of treatment and the healthcare workers, of course, but they're not looking at auto and auto's doing plenty and they're not necessarily looking to, you know, I mean, airlines, they're not looking even necessarily to grocers for solutions. So I think that there is a chance for many industries to shine a light on the good that they're doing. Because, you know, we know from our work together that as people think about what the good life means, right, sort of going back to that sustainable brands touchstone, like, it's not just about product, it's about how and it's about how it how it makes me feel. When we look at how business to business companies and the role that purpose plays for them, but the role that purpose plays overall. I mean, this was the year of the, of, you know, the BRT and the big stakeholder capitalism moving beyond just, just shareholder value, right? So I think that there is a very big appetite for, um, the people to know what companies are doing right now. Um, we particularly see that, you know, from, um, younger, parts of the marketplace are just as interested in seeing it. And so I do think there's an opportunity for some for the companies working in some of these spaces that the public really isn't looking to for solutions, but yet they are delivering them beautifully daily. I saw an interview with John Chambers and it was about, you know, he took um, Cisco through many, many crises. And he was um, saying that, unfortunately, he thinks that CSR programs are going to really suffer. Yeah. And and I'm curious about, you know, we're seeing c- companies stand up, stand out, being selfless, smart generosity. But, you know, as someone who's worked in the business for the field for t- 30 years, I'm worried that um, the absolute core day to day needs like pay my employees, other things are going to fall by the wayside. I do feel, I actually was just speaking with my team recently about this, that, boy, I haven't heard the term climate change in a while. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, I completely, um, I think it is a very reasonable thought to wonder if there has been a shifting of um, purpose initiatives. So are they going to move from... I mean, I think there, there's such a personal nature to what's going on right now, right? There's such a, there's, it has such a humanity, right? It's about workers. It's about keep, it's policies that keep their families safe. It's about protecting the most vulnerable. It's about everybody joining hands and finding a solution. Staying home is the most civic thing you can do. And so it does take some of those broader, um, initiatives it feels like they're going to have less resonance in the year ahead. 
um, unless they are connected. What I do think is here to stay is this notion of civic, right? And we've seen that, we've seen that in the past year, especially in the U.S., I think, where conversations have gone, um, you know, the polarization, I think, right now has made it difficult to stay away from political and to keep it in the civic and human, right? There's been this line that companies are are trying to find um, in the increasing, you know, politicization of, of corporate America even. And so my sense is that um, as long as we keep tying back to this human touchstone, um, that's going to be, that's going to be important. But I, I think that that fear is a little bit founded that we may see a little bit less energy. It's a heavy lift, right? Um, what we're doing now. And so how to ask us to go back to, I mean, I go back to all of these, um, you know, we've done a lot of work around what issues matter. Um, and so, and not even just what issues matter to Americans, which we look at all the time, but what issues do Americans think that companies should engage in, which is a different question, right? And you see things around, um, you see a lot about healthcare, a lot about that safety net. And so I think that's going to become only more prominent. I think actually how companies are in relation to workers will be more prominent. I think it will be a little bit less likely that we see the same relative to how companies are in relation to the environment. Um, we may see some... Um, a little bit of you know lessening of of intensity of commitment to some of those issues for the, for the near term. But what I think is really interesting is that the number one thing on that list of all the issues we measure that companies need to address is data privacy. And when I think about you know we've done a lot of work around you know how Americans are behaving. How would a company help somebody? Um, stay socially distant? You know, do you put a chip in your watch that actually says, oh, this is maybe it's a COVID tracker where somebody in this, you know, arena slash deli, I don't know, like, you know, and this is all, but, but don't you, in this moment of pandemic, things seem reasonable, right? And so I'm really curious to see where our relationship to data privacy goes as companies develop new products and new solutions, where this may be actually a core input to something that does protect community health, right? Or you personally or your family. So um, that's been a really interesting one, I think, um, particularly as you, you know, you think there are parts of this population that aren't, you know, when we look at the older um, population, for example, a lot of our, our work around who's doing what in terms of compliance around COVID, you know, there's a lot of cavalier people in their 60s and 70s who are finding who are like, oh, no, I'm totally compliant. But, you know, I go to the store every morning. You got to get out, right? I mean, whereas the rule would say, well, actually, you shouldn't do that quite that often or you should minimize that. Um, they're less likely to deliver, have food delivered. They'll go pick it up. Yeah, let, let me ask you this about be- changing behavior. Because, you know, we are now told, you know, wash your hands, wash your hands, 20 seconds at least, et cetera. And, you know, stay at home, social distancing. What's your vision of how much will our behaviors change when we lessen the curve and we start going back to work? Oh, I think they're going to change wildly. And what do you think the new behaviors are going to be? I think I have been astounded. So what's it been? Three weeks? I don't mm-hmm. know. Yep. Um, and I've been astounded at how well I can 
um, connect with clients, understand their needs and what we need to do with them without hopping on a single airplane. Right. And what would Greta say about that? She'd love it. Right. So, so back to, <laughs> right. you know, a lot exactly. less travel. Right. I think there's going to be a fair amount less of that. I think that um, my husband is a college professor and he just came out of teaching an online class. He's like, that was great. Like people who don't always speak were speaking up. And so you can see, I'm not talking about a replacement, but there is a whole generation of teachers at the elementary, high and higher ed level that are learning a whole new bag of tricks. It's hard and it's painful. And sometimes the students are teaching them. But my guess is that um, the way education is delivered will be forever altered um, because we've, we've upskilled um, in this mass, mass civic effort. We have upskilled that entire um, profession in over the course of three weeks. So, you know, I really feel like like those are some of the most obvious, obvious ones. Let me ask you about because you mentioned earlier civic engagement. And, you know, we're I'm just following it massively. And and also, um, I just like to say to our listeners that we have pivoted this podcast. We are also having a sister podcast called Humanity at Its Best. And we're looking for people stories. And we want to interview people, uh, not a 40 minute interview like Wendy, but a three or four minute interview. We'll call you on your phone. Really simple. Tell us what good actions you took. And you it's P. 360podcast at gmail.com p360podcast at gmail.com just give us a few sentences of what you did we'll call you up we'll get you on the show I want voices of people so let's just talk about civic engagement going forward what do you what do you think is going to happen you know I saw something interesting and I really want to give credit to the media channel and I can't remember which it was but um how we went from the year of mass protests to the year of complete isolation, mm. right? And how, mm-hmm. I mean, imagine um, last spring and the movements and the marches and the um, sort of that righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what do we do with that now that we're all in our own rooms? So I think that's all going to come back. I think here in the U.S. anyway, so that's a global observation, but I think in the U.S., we will, uh, we see little bits of civicness already. We are already thinking outside ourselves more than we used to. So what is one outcome of isolation? We're talking to our neighbors. Our data shows that, um, large percentages of us have reached out to elderly who may be isolated. And they, you know, normally they would not have done that, right? They've gone out of their way to do, to think of the other. And when we think, I mean, back to the corporate purpose. It's about the other, right? And so we're seeing that at, at the level of um, individuals who are employees, individuals who are voters, individuals who are your neighbors, and we're seeing that at the corporate level. And I imagine that that is going to, you know, it's a muscle that we're still flexing, I guess is my point, right? And we're doing it in new and different ways, just like everything. <laughs> but we are we are still flexing that muscle. You know, I think the number of people, we've had 44% say they checked in with someone that they hadn't reached out to in a while. I mean, this is a, a massive virtual town that we're creating, you know, how are communities going to change? You know, how are households going to change when playdates are virtual? I mean, I think there's a lot of things we don't know, but um, we have seen a number of things among the public that is making us think that the civic connectedness uh, that's at the core of of 
getting out the vote and all those other civic activities that are oftentimes more front and center, um, it's still in our DNA and we're seeing it manifesting in different ways. So it's kind of a, a sleeping DNA or oh, you, know, I love po- it. you know, a positive part of us that needs to be reinvigorated. And it is. Well, and I think, you know, part of what as we think about brands, I mean, I want to look around the corner and again, not opportunistically, but we will get to the other side of this. What are the brands that are helping people find them best selves? What are companies that can say to Gen Z, who you still got 30% of them saying, yeah, I'd go to a friend's house for a visit in days of social distancing. So I, I A, want to, you know, chain my Gen Z children down to, <laughs> <laughs> to the chair. But, you know, so how can a brand, who's the Rosie the Riveter for Gen Z? Yeah. Right, who's going to own that? <laughs> they won't even know. They won't know who wrote. <laughs> well, you know, but but you did. That's the beauty. So, oh, okay. so like, who's going to make that translation, mm-hmm. right? And so, what are the opportunities for? And by the way, it's not just Gen Z. Generationally, mm-hmm. you've got older Americans who are um, being a little cavalier. I, I told you they're shopping right, a bit right. more than maybe you know. They're not right. using some of the delivery apps and things like that. And what is the company or the 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 solution for that um, that can help? each of these different generations find them best selves and make those decisions easy for them to make in the interest of community health. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in our last remaining minutes, because it's been a fascinating conversation, what about millennials uh, and, well, more Gen Z? So the older yeah. Gen Zs, because I know you can't go younger in your polling, but w- what are the older Gen Zs, uh, what are you hearing from them? They are wishing that the older generation, they're, uh, they're the steady hand, it feels like in some of our, in some of our work, right? So they're actually a little bit more compliant about things than their older generation. And so I, you know, you can just imagine what, what, as you're zooming in your in-laws, you know, what you're telling them to do, uh, versus what you're doing yourself. So I think that they are, um, everybody is in an unprecedented situation. Every generation, I think, will be changed for it. I think the um, millennials have the tools. You know, we are seeing the technology and the role that it that it has, right? I mean, just it's unbelievably. And by the way, it's really working well. I mean, imagine every day my household wakes up. What if the internet went out, right? But um, <laughs> God, um, yeah. But but things are doing well. So I think it's about some of those native tools, right? So those older Gen Zs are absolutely the one that have. Um, have the, have the skills to communicate this w- this way from the beginning. So I think it, it what we're seeing is that it's a little bit easier for them to tolerate as they build virtual communities and they you know and they replace they replace those in person things. Um, in the case of cabin fever, they're they're finding better ways to to avoid it. I would love you to give like three tips or hints to companies and brands. Um, who, uh, you know, want to appropriately um, act during these times? I think the notion of taking who you are and making it louder and making it relevant. So um, if you can make something that can fill a void, you should. Um, If you can sort of retool that strategy to um, engage in a new way, it really feels like that's the time to do it. Think about different partnerships. It is really um, deeply rewarding for me to see um, the bridges being built across our competency sets uh, from manufacturing, maybe to the nonprofit, maybe to education, maybe you make things, I market things, whatever the case may be, right? Um, 
And so think of different partnerships that you could take today that could really amplify your efforts for doing good. Um, you need to look at your workers. When we look at, um, as I mentioned, we're the polling partner for Just Capital. And when you look at the yardstick that the public uses, and I think this is only going to be amplified exponentially to evaluate a company's character. At the end of the day, wake me up in the middle of the night and ask me what I think about a company. It's largely going to be based on how you treat your workers. So if there's one bit of advice I could give right now, um, and every bit of our polling supports it, is look at those worker policies. Look at not just the letter, but the spirit of them. Make sure they are encouraging the behaviors that you would want from your own family. Um, I think, and then um, make sure they're well understood. I think that really it's about the workers. So, so I think those would be my Great. my closing words of wisdom. And in terms of um, our listeners are going to want to get more information from Harris, where should they go um, on your website? What should they look sure. for? Sure. Yeah, the HarrisPoll.com, we have a, um, a microsite set up for all the COVID-19 stuff. Um, also reach out to me and, and my contact information, I'm sure will be uh, with the podcast. I mean, we're pretty... Nimble company, not that big. And so, you know, call call Wendy. Just call me. I would love, love to talk more about it. And we'll make sure that all that content. Okay, so now I'll embarrass you. I would like to say that Wendy is one of, uh, she's at Smart Generosity. Um, <laughs> she is a wonderful partner. She's very hands-on. Her intellect is smart as a whip. Because um, when we get this data back, you know, first of all, you know, they help us form the questionnaire and the questions and we have vigorous debate. And then when it comes back with these massive, oh my God, tables and such, she can really cut through and, and help us, uh, you know, see and formulate the insights. And so anybody listening for a great research partner, she is the best. Oh, thank you, Carol. That's very sweet. And supported by a fabulous team, I would add. Too. Oh, a so great, 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 great team. Yeah. So um, thank you for, for spending this time. I know that you're really, really busy. Um, we all will get through this, but um, having smart generosity and working collaboratively uh, will help us uh, hopefully get out of this sooner than later and stronger than ever before, learning all sorts of new ways to go to market in an authentic and caring and empathetic way. 